the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight every Tuesday to be joined by my dear friend Hugh Hallman, former mayor of Tempe, educator, attorney, civic activist, and has he said the very first time he came in, resident epistemologist, right? I did not say that the first time I came in. My son Lewis uh, gave that title to himself, yeah. and I stole it. Okay, well, uh, as long as one Hallman is an epistemologist, because we need one. We need one uh, these days. Uh, as long as I wear a long coat, nobody will notice. <laughs> There's a lot, lot we're talking about today. Um, what's on your mind? I'll just start there. What's going on in the fertile fertile furniture arrangement that constitutes your brain? Uh, yes, moving the deck chairs around on the deck here. Uh, that's I, a great point from Alan Bloom. He writes about uh, in The Closing of the American Mind that the task of education is to properly arrange the furniture of the mind. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? It is, but I hope it's actually not just to arrange it. It's to build the furniture <laughs> yeah. uh, and create the hooks and everything else to hang concepts on. So recently I ended up in a debate with the president of the teachers union about a bill that our legislature passed and our governor signed that allowed uh, that allows now uh, students in college who have not yet graduated to join a faculty of a middle school or high school uh, effectively as a student teacher. I'm of the era when we had student teachers come to teach in our classrooms. When I was a headmaster, I had student teachers come. They still exist generally. If you go to a university college of education, you then get to do a practicum, a teaching piece. You have to teach in a classroom under the guidance of a master teacher or somebody of, uh, of great skill so that you learn the trade in the trenches. But it typically is only a semester at most. The teachers union about 15 years ago fought against or longer ago than that. Now I think of it 20 some odd fought against the idea of putting subject matter experts in classrooms. That is to say, somebody who might be a physicist at Motorola decides to retire and join a faculty at a high school or a middle school to teach physics, imagine that, or a chemist who worked full-time at the Forest Service and decides he wants to teach and becomes a teacher in a classroom. Those people were not allowed to make that transition because they did not have teaching certificates from a university teaching college that allowed them to be, quote, certificated, unquote, even though they were highly qualified, meaning they were subject matter experts. They knew their field. The argument is, of course, you can't be a teacher unless you've gone to a teacher's college and learned all this other stuff about what makes kids think and what's happened over the last couple of decades the institutionalization of political philosophy that's been infiltrated our teaching universities, that there is a, a set of political philosophies that also get taught along the way about all the kinds of things that are in the social environment that we now need to teach as well. So now I'm in this little bit of a debate about this bill. 
because the union doesn't like the fact that these yet uncertificated people get into a classroom. Well, they didn't want subject matter experts in the classroom either. But charter schools under the charter law got that difference. So, ladies and gentlemen, the difference, the only differences between traditional public schools and charter schools in the state of Arizona, both of them public, are that charter schools did not have to adopt and follow the procurement law under the state of Arizona's procurement processes. And secondly, they could use teachers who were highly qualified but weren't necessarily certified. I had the advantage of running such schools and hired just such people that I described, uh, you know, kept a guy on who was a physicist at Motorola, decided he really liked teaching. That's what he was doing in his job, was teaching other physicists and engineers how to think. The, the chemist wanted to teach, and there are many other stories like that. Uh, a brilliant woman who taught mathematics beautifully subject matter expert. Interestingly, as charter schools did that and adopted that concept, and these teachers learned how to teach even better than they otherwise were, with formally certified teachers and others around them helping them learn that skill, they became demonstrated the demonstrable improvement in teaching in subjects that we have a hard time filling, sciences and mathematics in particular. Why? Because the people who graduate with those degrees and have done well in physics, in chemistry, in biology, in, in other sciences and mathematics have lots of other opportunities to get jobs. They can go out into the universe and make a lot of money in other kinds of jobs than teaching, where teaching as a career has a much lower level of uh, financial uh, compensation. And what you end up with in classrooms are people who did not achieve. Now, this is broad-based, and I recognize there are lots of people who are fabulous teachers who went through the program, got certified. But generally, you end up with people who don't have the opportunity to go into those fields as a profession, as a mathematician or something in a business or other circumstance. And they end up in teaching and with teaching degrees. And we have a shortage of those to begin with because there's a huge opportunity for engineers and these other kinds of mathematics and scientists in private sector and other kinds of government service, so they don't go into teaching. That's why we have such a huge shortage right now. Well, now getting people who are retiring or have decided they wanted, having made their career in some hard science or mathematics, coming back into the classroom, what a brilliant solution. And the union fought that. And then when charter schools did a teacher shortage, well, right? well, right. Uh, this is decade, a couple of decades ago, but it allowed these subject matter experts to prove that they're fabulous teachers. Now, I'm not going to select every single one of them if they're boobs, but I'm going to select people who demonstrate that they have a passion for teaching and then work hard to achieve that goal of teaching well. As a result, those people proved the brilliance of that concept. And now traditional public schools have certified experts in their field, subject matter experts, who then get certified as a result of this process. Amazing. It took only 20, 25 years for the union finally to adopt that. Early on, they would not let these teachers who are teachers join the union because they were not certified. In fact, if you go to the AEA, the Arizona Educators Association website, you'll see that to become a member of this union, you have to be certified. Well, now the state of Arizona has these other alternative certification processes for subject matter experts and others to become certified outside of that university college education system. 
which those folks don't like. Now they've got a source of people competing against that college uh, college certification process who are coming through other uh, other routes, including subject matter experts. Well, now this bill would allow students who have not graduated from college who are building their, sort of their, their subject matter expertise to become student teachers in the classroom under the umbrella of master teachers, mentors, and others. And the union opposes this. It's terrible because, yet again, it's not addressing their immediate demand that we get more money and respect. Well, I got no objection to that. I agree. We are not compensating teachers at the level we should to attract the people we want in classrooms. We could. We could, but instead <laughs> we are now defending right. mediocre teachers right. and insisting they have to be paid more. The biggest problem is, in government, we have created a system in which we cannot compensate high performers for their great performance, and everybody's got to be compensated the same. So we have a system that says that principals in every school are incompetent to make compensation decisions and reward good uh, versus bad performance. How do we do that in the private sector? The entire private sector operates in a system generally where people are making compensation decisions based on performance. And it's only in government somehow that principals and people who go into government service are incompetent to make those decisions. And so we've created a system that rewards mediocre performance. Those are two different points, but it's about the same kind of thing. We've got union interests that demand that the teachers who are now in the field be compensated more highly, refuse to allow us to make compensation decisions based on real performance, and block the way for people who could come into this stream of performance because they're interested in teaching. The main reason this bill was passed to allow students who are in college to join into the stream of learning how to teach was because so many students in the teaching colleges come out with very little experience in the classroom, show up in the classroom and find out they don't like it. Right. So we've got 20,000 certified teachers in the state who aren't in the classroom and the union blames compensation. Yeah. And I would tell them wrong. Lawyers get compensated very, very well. But half of the people who go to law school leave the profession within five years because they don't like it. That's not the same thing, union president, that people who showed up in the classroom found out they didn't like it. They don't like being with children. They don't like what they have to do as a teacher. And these are the kind of problems that have me thinking today. We need more conversation on this radio station about how to fix this mess. I want to talk to you about that a little bit more because education quickly people are now realizing uh, is the vector from which most of our other problems uh, are resultant of. And I'd like to push on this with you a little bit more uh, because we are in what I would call fierce agreement and uh, want to add to it when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. He forgets to say that coming in at the first, at the top of the hour. And when you're listening to the podcast, you're wondering, who is this? Who is this? 
this sultry voice speaking to me on the radio. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Seth Leifson. <laughs> I've just taken over his show, but I have to remind him, you have to start the top of the hour with, I'm Seth Leifson on the Seth Leifson Show, because the podcast needs, ladies and gentlemen, you need to help us get more people to listen to the podcast when they haven't listened to the radio because they've been at work or whatever. The podcasts are brilliant. Okay. They are brilliant. Thank you, Hugh. You can find it at 960thepatriot.com. You said a um, you, you gave a year-long course in what's wrong with education in our society in the last segment, uh, Hugh. So people on the podcast, or if you missed the first segment, go listen to what Hugh just, his opening salvo on education and the debate he was just in with the head of the teachers' union. Let me play off some of what you said and run it through, um, through your uh, – your uh, experience and, and, and gifted mind on this, Hugh. First of all, uh, one of the um, greatest teachers in Arizona was my math teacher. His name was Hallman as well. He was your daddy. And I'm going to guess in all of his training to be a teacher, and he would have been what anyone would call today one of the most highly qualified teachers uh, you, could, you could identify. Um, I'm going to guess when he went to school – if anything, he may have had, may have had, one course on how-to, or what we now fancily call pedagogy. Maybe, maybe. I am almost certain he didn't take courses and spend time reading the works of John Dewey or Paolo Ferrer, which is what they are now teaching at the uh, education schools, uh, which is uh, how to use education as, uh, in, as, as, as a disruptor or as a revolutionary mode, as one of the titles of Ferrer's books is teaching as a, uh, teaching as a revolutionary principle. Uh, but that said, that said, we have come to a point in our society where I think I heard it best put by a friend of yours and an old boss of mine, William Bennett, former Secretary of Education, was on a panel on why we were doing so poorly compared to other countries on what was then known as the PISA test, right? And he said, well, the first problem is in other countries they teach math, and in America we teach how we feel about learning math. And, and it took me to the phrase you kept using in the last segment, which is the mediocrity and how mediocrity is rewarded. This from a profession that tells us it wants to be treated as professionals, which they should be, which is why we have wanted to compensate them as professionals. But it takes me back to a famous report in 1983. People still use the phrase. I don't think they remember what's in the report. It came out of the Department of Education called The Nation at Risk. And if memory serves, the very opening was if a foreign enemy wanted to come in and ruin this country, it could do no worse than expand what's taking place in our nation's public schools right now. It, it used a phrase, a rising tide of mediocrity. That was the phrase from the Nation at Risk report. And we've done little better since then. I mean, what, what, what's in that report, you can still get it online. It's all still true. It's all still unheeded. And it's still unimplemented. And indeed, when you look at our uh, at our at our outcomes, our education outcomes since the late seventies, uh, whether it's in math, when science, whether it's in the hard stuff, so to speak, or whether it's in what I guess they now call language arts, we used to call it English. Um, any of these things, the reading civics, and writing, reading part. and writing parts, or even the civics, what you see on a graph is flat, 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 flat. No real 
increases in achievement on any of these things with, at the same time, a tremendously explosive infusion of money. The inputs got greater at a financial point, but the outcomes stayed the same. And to me, it's because we have less Mr. Hallmans in our classrooms and more young revolutionaries who love this notion of pedagogy as the art rather than the subject matter as the art. Feel free to take me down on this if you want. But nope. that's how I kind of see it in here. The only thing I would take you down on is you said we've done a little better, and I'd say we've done a lot worse. Okay, okay. And that the trending continues to be that social issues – are where it's fun to teach and be at. Why? Well, it's the same in politics. The AEA, the Arizona Educators Association, is an example. Local government is an example. People want to talk about the stuff that's on the front page and on CNN and uh, Fox, the cool stuff, not the bread and butter, what it is we're supposed to be here for. So you've mentioned the fact that the NEA has got a, you know, point number 36 is we're a a social justice organization here to make everybody feel good about their choice of of gender. Mm -hmm. We can come back to that in a moment. And I would complain straight up this. If and when the teachers union has done its job getting teachers to be better compensated and more well-respected, And when they've done their job to make sure those teachers then are teaching better and we get better results in teaching, then move on to those other issues. But until you actually perfect what it is you're supposed to be doing, what in the heck are you doing in this other lane? Get back in your lane and do what you're supposed to do. All the other stuff in your list of important issues is the cool stuff to be one of the cool kids and be invited to all the parties. And you're not doing your job. Your job should be, as a union, trying to get your teachers better compensated and more well-respected and help those teachers become better teachers, which then will draw more money to this process. But, in fact, we're doing just the opposite. My father was an example of a man who chose to teach. What was his training to teach? His training to teach was mathematics. Yeah, just learning he, math. He Exactly right. And coaching. So he actually was formally trained as a PE teacher and a mathematician. So he had sort of this dual degree. And what's interesting, and the answer to the real question is, we had a huge societal change in the mid-60s. Until that moment, women were consigned to teaching. That was one of the few career paths they had open to them. And when women got the opportunity to go off in other directions, that reduced the number of really smart, highly qualified people who chose teaching as a profession because they had other opportunities. That's just a societal result here. In that environment, we did not respond by creating teaching as a profession that was compensating people at the level that we believe as a society is appropriate for the people who are teaching our children important things. That's just a reality. Now, you might say teachers are overcompensated. I can point to lots of teachers I know who are well undercompensated for their genius and brilliance and what you would have to pay them to get those jobs. Please don't tell me because I watched my parents, I watched my father, that, oh, they only work nine months of the year. You really don't know enough about what it means to be a teacher to understand that these are 12-month-a-year jobs. My father, because teaching paid so little in the 60s, 
worked every summer in the farm fields in Blythe, Arizona, pitching watermelons and cantaloupe, picking them for the summer. He did happen to bring his football team out there, and they worked it too because he used it as a sort of offline <laughs> training program to help his athletes. But Good core conditioning. You know, my, my <laughs> father really loved teaching, and I still have a great memories of watching him do it, and it was amazing. I want to connect what you said about the distractions in education and doing the cool, interesting stuff rather than the fundamentals to a larger societal problem, if I can, when we come back. You put your finger on something critically important that actually goes to our success as a constitutional republic or our ongoing success. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Holman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth Leibson, and if you are looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. That's Y-R-E-F-Y. Their website, InvestYRefi, investyrefi.com. They are offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors in a collateralized and secure portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where investors do very well by doing good for others. And you can, too. If this interests you, check them out at investyrefi.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Hugh Holman, we're talking education here, which means we're talking everything. And you had made the point in the previous segment that part of the problem, part of the problem in the distraction from wanting to learn math, learn science, learn the stuff that takes a little different kind of a discipline than, say, I don't know, social studies. Um, it's because the distractions on what's on the front page or what uh, one of the Jenners are doing or one of the housewives or whatever it is the kids are watching TV these on TV these days, it's, it's just more interesting than what is um, – theoretically being taught or supposed to be taught in the classrooms. The distractions are what get the attention. Don't you think, writ large, this also is an explanation for a lot of the problems this country faces from a constitutional point of view? You look at the Constitution as you studied it, and you studied it very seriously. I know I know your background, and I know what you did in studying the Constitution. And you see in it, particularly in Article One, what the duties of the federal government are. And they are defined and they are cabined. And what we have now is a government that has gotten so expansive into so many areas of life, society and culture that it has neglected those fundamentals such that it seems like when a big crisis comes to this country where the federal government should be mobilized to either prevent the crisis or deal with it. In a trice, it seems incompetent to do so. We spent a lot of time on COVID as an example of that. But people can think of other examples. They can think about perhaps uh, the border or public safety. They can think about it on the drug issue. They can think about it when a hurricane strikes. They can think about it with Katrina. Any number of things that you realize this really is the government's job and we're not competent at doing it. And we can't be competent at doing it because we're worried about and involved in so many more different things. The federal government today would be unrecognizable to the founding fathers. And it's because it's unrecognizable because it has expanded beyond well and way beyond 
what is defined and cabined in Article One of the Constitution. Is this making any sense whatsoever? Yes, it is. And first, the I'm going to distractions are what we now focus on rather Correct. than the fundamentals. And, and and it's because that's new, and neat, and cool, and that gets you on the radio, it gets you on the television, it gets you front page headlines for being the person who's talking about something new and neat. And we therefore don't deal with the day to day. Frankly, that's the problem in parenting. We can't get baby formula. It's why we can't get tampons. It's why we can't get food delivered. Yeah, all of it. Uh, and 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 we are we have become accustomed to having our senses uh, excited uh, constantly and continuously. And the dull stuff, the day to day stuff, ain't worth doing. Part of I believe the reason we have a new generation of youth not taking jobs because they're not cool and interesting. They only want the jobs running the company. They don't want to do the jobs that would require lots of grinding effort, dull and boring hours to build skill sets that allow them to achieve. Now, I have at least still this piece of hope about this shining city on a hill, and that is when bad stuff happens, this country still gears up more quickly and more ably and solves real problems uh, in amazing ways. And that is my continuing uh, hope and and that that is the, the, the lotus star that I'm still following, that we have demonstrated still in this current condition the ability to gear up quickly when there are crises. Let me push on that when we come back. Uh, push on it further because you're onto something big here. I'm, I want to push you to say more on this because it does seem to me there is a philosophy underlying this that is problematic. Not yours, not mine, I don't think, but I think the people we're talking about where we are distracted by shiny objects at the expense of the shiny city on the hill. We are um, not doing the the, the, the meat and potatoes because we're doing the will of the wisp. Let me uh, let me pick up on that on the other side of this break. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman, and we will be right back. Punishment room for Bill. Portions of this show are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day, 100% natural, not 99 and 44 100% pure, 100% pure from the capsules to the ingredients. The capsules are easily swallowed. They're like normal capsules. Some people don't like swallowing capsules, so they're designed to be opened easily, and you can sprinkle the contents into uh, food or drink. But Balance of Nature gives you one daily dose, gives you a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables, Boosts your immunity, your health, your energy. I take it every single day. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. 
Hugh Hallman in studio guest, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, uh, educator, international um, international businessman as well. Uh, Hugh, when we went to the break, we were talking about how this country gets caught up in distractions. Nowhere is that more true in the field of education. I believe it's one of the reasons we have a problem with the rest of us. I think everything starts at the education level. If you want to hear the kind of claptrap that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are talking about today, it's because they are served by advisors who grew up in this environment. 30 years of entrenched weirdness in the classroom has now made itself uh, uh, the conventional wisdom, or at least the conventional wisdom in too many precincts in America. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, never a bad person to go and redound to on these things, um, on anything, had something to say about this that I know has, has moved you a lot. You want to share it? I do. But before I do, I want to note that I am wearing a blue shirt. Okay. Uh, and I am a man. Okay. The pronoun I prefer, making reference to your earlier monologue, is... I, I am a he. Yeah. Uh, you are, I understand, a he. Yes. I'm making a little bit of fun, but I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Because education needs to, in my view, focus on the fundamentals. When we get that right, then we can move on to other stuff. But the scores we're posting in these United States demonstrate we ain't getting it right. And it was Abraham Lincoln who said, and I quote, Upon the subject of education, not presuming to dictate any plan or system respecting it, I can only say that I view it as the most important subject which we as a people can engage in, that every man may receive at least a moderate education and thereby be enabled to read the histories of his own and other countries by which he may duly appreciate the value of our free institutions. Unquote. So here's a here's a guy who. I don't think I knew that for all my studying of Lincoln. I don't know that quote. We could understand that it's not necessarily clearly stated in the Constitution as a federal matter, but he's not saying it's a federal matter. He's just saying that this is something we in the United States ought to be engaged in and that that's the most important topic we can cover. Why? Because in order to have a society of of citizens who can run the country as this Constitution establishes, they have to be actively involved in it and have reasoning abilities, thinking abilities that allow them to engage actively and effectively. Instead, we're now engaged in social policy that isn't even particularly well agreed to. That's an important point. Making making the moment about your monologue today, brilliant monologue, I can acknowledge that there are human beings in this country and elsewhere who do not feel comfortable in a designated spot as male or female. That biologically they have and or environmentally they have received a point in life or come to a point in life where they identify somewhat differently than the binary choices of male and female. I can respect that. I can understand that. We have all kinds of uh, things going on on our brains and on our bodies that have each of us behaving differently and choosing different courses. I can respect that. But I am also not willing to say that somebody who is biologically male can give birth. If you are biologically male and identify as a woman, I'm not going to concede that you can somehow therefore give birth in the same way that somebody who is biologically female but identifies as a male cannot give birth. They would have the opportunity to give birth. The issue is then about signaling. I'm not trying to make somebody who has these choices in their life and has made this choice to identify somewhat differently than I would. 
I am not willing to say that that human being does not deserve respect, but I am not willing to engage in twisting our language in such a way that we can't have a conversation about it as a Berkeley professor insisted we could not discuss with Senator Hawley a week and a half ago. We can't engage in that. And your monologue makes the point, I think, very well, brilliantly as always, that we are now falling into the trap where if you do not signal in everything you do that you're accepting everyone in every capacity, then you're somehow a lesser human being. So the vice president is now talking about that she identifies as a woman, she uses her as a pronoun, and she's dressed in blue. You know what? I'm not going to engage in that. But I'm willing to understand as well, there are people who have different choices have made, and I can respect them for that. What we have, however, now is the beginning of another example of something in which if you do not agree with their view, you will be shut down. And the most elegant example of that recently happened at a medical school opening day ceremony. When a professor who taught for 17 years happens to identify as a Christian and somebody she identifies as an anti-abortionist, that is, she's opposed to abortion. She was to be the keynote speaker at this dinner, opening the opportunity for these students to become medical students and ultimately doctors. And many of them walked out, not because she was discussing abortion, but because she had a particular perspective on abortion. They wanted to walk out to prove that she is somebody that should not be listened to on any subject. That's outrageous that we've now come to a cancel culture that if you believe differently than someone else, especially on the left, if you believe differently from the left, you not only cannot speak about the topic on which they are offended, but you can speak on no topic. That's outrageous. And that is a problem of education, that we have students who believe that that's appropriate, that we have uh, we have educators, professors and the parents of those students who believe that's appropriate is a cancel culture gone too far. And we all should be concerned about that kind of behavior. Yeah, I mean, it makes it, it even begs the question, what is the purpose of education? Why don't we conclude? I have I have actually an interesting quote on that. We might we might land on when we conclude on the in the next segment. Hugh Holman, that was brilliant. Thank you, sir. I loved your point. As we go to break, I'll just underscore as you get on in life, people as people get on in life, they realize, you know, certain discomforts or maybe different orientations. Absolutely right doesn't mean we start doing it at age five and instructing it. You know, five-year-olds sometimes think they're Superman, Cat, Tigger, Winnie the Pooh, and princesses. Yeah. What a five-year-old knows is absolutely nothing. I don't understand why they're being allowed to dictate what 40-year-olds should call them. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back.
That's an education song. It's about parent-teacher association in Harper Valley. Hugh, this point about what is education's purpose and why students would certain would would be medical students. My gosh, men and women of science or whatever of science uh, willing to walk away a priori because they don't like the topic a priori or the position of the teacher a priori reminds me of something. My babysitter growing up wrote, uh, who's become uh, quite the uh, scholar and quite the writer, you may know him, uh, Jonathan Rausch, uh, graduate uh, over here from uh, Camelback High School, now at, uh, I guess he's at the Brookings Institution in the Atlantic. He proposes that every college put in its handbook, student handbook, the following warning, quote, warning. Although this university values and encourages civil expression and respectful personal behavior, you may at any moment and without further notice encounter ideas, expressions, and images that are mistaken, upsetting, dangerous, prejudice, insulting, or even deeply offensive. We call this education. You know what? It's a beautiful and brilliant proposal, and it will not happen. You get the last word. That has two edges to it. Because exactly what I'm expressing is that we have now wandered into areas that are distressing and difficult and deeply uh, divisive or divisive, if you prefer. I do. And what I would advocate is that we have had a conversation on a concept of common core. Conservatives didn't want that. Now they have to understand that we do want that. There is a common core of values and beliefs and subject matter that generally this society agrees on and that is the underpinnings for how this society rose out of the muck and became the shining city on the hill that has created greater wealth and success ever known to humanity all in this little country now of 330 million people and we've forgotten those basic lessons and instead are off in the weeds talking about and teaching all kinds of things that are quite controversial. No, I am not saying, and please don't stick that in my mouth, as, as some have tried to, that, gee, we can't talk about uh, uh, equality in the 1960s. There are obviously, as Lincoln expressed, as our founders expressed, concepts of equality that we all can agree on. And I am not expressing that we should be uh, devastating human beings who, as I previously described, have different choices and challenges in life. What I am describing is we ought to get that common core right. We ought to have the conversation of what is known and unknown that we need to teach to our students so that they can have successful lives and reach out into the universe and be their best selves. We don't do that very well. The test scores demonstrate that. We need to get back to some easy basics. Uh, you can leave it there. Let me give everyone a homework assignment if they want to if they want to follow through on how to do it. There's two books I can convey: E. D. Hirsch, Cultural Literacy, or Alan Bloom's The Closing of the American Mind. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman. God bless you all, and until tomorrow, this class is dismissed.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.